and I know, I know I'm walking on eggshells here when I say this, because it is such, such a polarizing thing. But if we are to view people as all made in the image of God, racism goes away. Let me say that again. If we are to view people with a transcendent Imago Dei, some, the ontological Imago Dei, then the economic Imago Dei is going to help us eliminate racism because we are all seen as being made in the image of God. Skin color, ethnicity, belief, it all goes by the wayside because we're all seeing each other as on the same playing ground. Hey guys, my name is Tyler Henry, and I'm the host of the Brewed Up Apologetics podcast. The entire goal of this podcast is to bring together craft brewing, distilling, and just the love of that entire culture with apologetics, sound biblical thinking, and theology. So grab whatever you're drinking, doesn't matter what it is, and have a seat. Enjoy this podcast as we start to talk and continue our conversation on the Imago Dei. Yo, what is going on? Thank you so much for tuning into this episode of the Brood Up Apologetics podcast. I am so thankful that you're here, and this year has been an absolute whirlwind. I am actually, this is the second time recording this episode. Um, I recorded it earlier on in January, or sorry, in, in December. We haven't hit January yet. But yeah, I recorded it earlier in December, and for some odd reason, even though I saved it, I lost all of the audio that I had recorded for this, but nonetheless, I still have another one of those beers to share with you and just kind of give you a little taste of what I'm tasting. So that's kind of where where I'm at. I was honestly really, really frustrated with what happened, and I had to take a step back from from recording and just do a little bit of introspection and see, you know, what what can we do for 2022. And I have a big feeling that 2022 is going to bring a host of different changes to the the podcast. And one of those being, hopefully, I can get more people on to interview as, in a, as a specialty or maybe even interview a skeptic or something like that, where I can just listen and they can just tell their story and share some of the objections or even concerns that they have with the Christian faith. And... Hopefully, it provides a good discussion between that person and I afterwards. So, regardless, I am, like I said, I'm super, super excited to jump into this. We are going to be discussing a little bit more of the Imago Day today, which has been a kind of like a pet theology for me. Um, it has provided so much insight into just how how we are as humans and why we are the way we are as humans. So it's been really, really productive and and really beneficial for, for myself. So before we get into that, I think we need to crack a beer and just kind of let loose a little bit because these topics are really, really big. They're really difficult. And sometimes we need to just kind of relax and let let these things kind of sink in a little bit before we even do anything with it. Like, you know, I I don't typically I don't typically post uh, a, a 
I don't typically post an, an episode until I'm at least confident that it's ready, but also that I'm confident to record it. So if there's any big spans of time in between in between episodes, it's because I'm not confident to to relay the information that I've learned to you in at least a way that is not going to be filled with philosophical and theological jargon that you're just not going to understand. So I'm going to try to do my best to not, or even if I do use these, these big isms and terms that I'm going to work on defining them a little bit better and clearly. So before we do that today, um, like I had in my, in my previous recording of this, I had a, what is known or what is called switchback. Um, it is from Burlington, Vermont. Now, if you haven't been to Burlington, it is a wonderful city, and I really, really like what's going on up in the the northern part of Vermont. So Burlington is about maybe two hours, maybe an hour and 45 minutes from the Canadian border, and my wife's parents live up there, so every so often, once or twice a year, we go up to visit them, and one of the cool things about that area is that their beer selection is absolutely massive the only thing that has come close to that i've heard that i've experienced that has come close to the amount of beer that they have up there is in Asheville, north carolina which is and in, in my opinion slowly becoming beer capital usa so here we are <clears throat> or here we are with switchback switchback ale i know that i have to invert it so that it all the the particulates and stuff get kind of like mixed up in there and this is an unfiltered, this is an unfiltered amber, reddish amber ale, I'm reading upside down right now, um, that comes in at 5%, which is, I think, pretty typical for uh, for regular, like, reddish amber ale. Um, if you have anything a little bit higher in percentage, it's, I think, typically because they do something specifically to get that higher percentage, but, I'm sorry. I ended up, oh, bourbon, I haven't even had the beer yet. But, yeah, sorry, I hit the mic. But, yeah, this is uh, this is honestly one of my favorite beers from Vermont, besides Hetty Topper and Conehead from, Hetty Topper's from The Alchemist, and Conehead is from Zero Gravity, which, if you didn't know, Zero Gravity ended up buying out Magic Hat. So I'm really excited for what Zero Gravity is doing, and they make really, really good beer, so definitely check it out. Another good one is Lawson's Finest Liquids. They make sips of sunshine. They have big sips and little sips, and I think they may have a, a even bigger sips out there, but I'm not sure. So, you know, we're going through, going through, uh, through this one, so let's pop it, and here we go. All right, so I know... From from just having this multiple times, this is, like I said, this is my go-to beer when I am up there. If I don't want something super hoppy, like a Conehead, then I am going to automatically go for a Switchback. This is kind of like their Yingling, even though it's an ale. So it very much looks like a Yingling as soon as you pour it. The only thing that's different is that this is unfiltered. And technically, it's a different style. It's not a lager like a yingling is. It is an ale. So, again, that means that 
the that means that the ale or the yeast ferments on the top instead of on the bottom. So an ale is a top fermenting yeast and a lager is a bottom fermenting yeast. Um, whenever you have an ale, you are typically going to ferment at almost room temperature. Whatever your typical room temperature is, you don't want to go above 70 because that is going to kill the yeast. But if you are, you don't want to go below, like, I, don't, I think it's like 60. Between 55 and 60 is where you don't want to go below. I could be wrong on that. I don't have this uh, the uh, the temperatures right in front of me. But when you are fermenting for a lager, then you want it to be a little bit colder, right? Like I think right around right around fifty degrees, and just that slight temperature change is totally different. Um, but again, you know, I've I know this beer really really well, and this is I'm super excited to dive into this. So on the nose, unlike Unlike a Yingling, I get a lot more of a hop characteristic on the on the nose, and I think that's because it's an ale. There's a little bit more hop characteristic there, um, and I think that's partial to do partially to do with the way that it's fermented and the amount of hops that they that they throw in. You know, I've I don't know their recipe or anything com- as and compared to Yingling. So, but at the same time, I get that that malt that malt kind of sneaks its way in. I, I I love it. So here we go. Wet the taste buds, get used to it, and then go back for in for another sip. Mm. Oh yeah. So much like a yingling, it's very bready. And you do get that that unfiltered, like yeasty characteristic, which is very unique for an amber ale because an amber ale typically is a very clean a very clean style of beer where you're just kind of looking for something crisp and refreshing that doesn't have a whole lot of whole lot of malt characteristic and it doesn't have a whole lot of whole lot of hop characteristic it's very just kind of mellow all all the way around but this has hop it has yeast it has has malt and you can kind of taste each single thing in it which is really really cool i love that now i don't have this in a clear glass because i know this one super well but it does again look like a yingling with the floaters so it looks like a like a yingling with floaters in it and kind of gives it a cool little look to it almost like a glittery like a like a glittery if you were to make a glittery beer so it kind of like gives it that type of sheen to it so yeah this is wonderful i love it and I'm going to take a quick break to have a few other sips and to pull up my pull up my 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 notes for the show so enjoy a little bit of your beer or whatever you're drinking
Alright, so we're back, and I hope you took some time to take a, a sip or two of your your drink, whatever you're sipping on, whether it's coffee and you're listening to this in the morning, or you're drinking this, or drinking this, you're you're listening to this later on in the evening with a beer, or a dream of whiskey, or coffee, or tea, whatever, it doesn't really matter what it is. So, you know, we we last time kind of talked about proper functioning in humanity, and... We didn't want to get super, super philosophical in this one today because we kind of already hit a lot of the philosophical, kind of metaphysical stuff about humanity in the previous episode. So what we're going to kind of be doing today is going through and touching on, on a more deep level, the economic Imago Dei. Now, we in the previous episode, we talked about the ontological Imago Dei, which just kind of is the nature of being. So it's not the, it has nothing to do with what you actually see, feel, and experience about the humanity, about humanity or the human being. What it really just kind of comes down to is the isness, what just is the human being. It has nothing to do with what you, like I said, with what you see, what you experience, and what you feel, all of that. But that is where the economic comes in, where the economic Imago Dei is what you see, feel, experience, and interact with in your everyday life. So, kind of like the Trinity. So, if you're going to talk about the economic Trinity, this is the working itself out in salvation history. So, how the Trinity works together and how it works within the history of the world to accomplish salvation. So, this addresses all the people in the in the Trinity, but it also how it affects other people. It's not just how each person of the Trinity works together, but how each person interacts with humanity individually and as a collective Trinity. So there's the ontological kind of steps into into the world becoming the economic Trinity. It's there's no there's no change there. It just kind of takes on a different I want to say mode that's that's not what I'm looking for but it takes on a different different style uh and becomes interactive with with humanity so we're going to kind of be talking about the economic imago day and how each of us interacts not just with god but also how we interact with each other and how that is a really really good example of us being made in the image of God. So, like I said, we kind of hammered out the ontological, so I'm not going to hit on that at all. So, we're just going to jump straight into the economic trinity. Wow, not economic trinity, economic Imago Dei. I'm sorry if I say that every so often. It's because whenever I hear the word economic, I usually use it with the trinity. So, I'm sorry if I do that. So bear with me and give me a little bit of grace and forgiveness there. So the economic Imago Dei. Yeah, I got it right there. So let's just quickly define it by itself. What is the economic Imago Dei? It is how the image of God works within the world and in relationships. So it's not just the relationships between you and I, but also the relationship that we have with 
God. Now, it doesn't matter what type of relationship that is, if you are an atheist or if you are a theist or a deist or an agnostic. You have, you technically have a relationship with God. It just kind of takes on a different form depending on what you actually believe. So, if we are, what or what does this look like? If we're going to use and utilize the the shared attributes we have with God. So that's pretty much what it looks like, is that there's these shared attributes. They're called mutable attributes where he gives, as he was creating us, he gives us these these qualities, these, these potentialities to be like him in a certain, in a certain way. Just as if, if I held up my selfie camera like I am doing right now to kind of like look at myself in the mirror, that the image of me in the in in on the on my phone is not actually me but it's an image of me it bears my image but it's not the same it has the qualities of me it looks like me but it's not the same now that doesn't mean what i'm excuse me what i'm not saying is that we are little gods there's a whole lot of like little god stuff coming out of a lot of these mega churches and we're not little gods at all get just make sure that you understand that that we are not little gods we are in the image of god so yeah so these 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 the qualities that we have these these image bearing qualities and attributes that we have are like the intellect intelligibility just friendship and relationship and <clears throat> how we interact with each other there's all of these things that kind of define the relationships that we that we have. So that's really what the economic trinity is, is just how how we use and utilize the shared attributes that we share with God. So, you know, it has nothing to do with whether or not we are properly functioning or not. So if I have a a mental disorder, to let's let's say you know, because I have experienced a, a little bit of depression after going through through my divorce, let's say that I, my brain chemistry did a total like 180 and I became clinically depressed. And if I, you know, my brain is not able to function properly at this point, you know, based on its original design, it is not able to function properly. Now, if we are going to attach the economic Amako day to proper functionality, then I, I think that we're gonna fall into a into a sort of like pit where we're just unable to get out of that because that would mean that in order to be in the image of God, we need to be a properly functioning individual. But the Christian the traditional Christian doctrine of the Imago Day has nothing to do with whether you're properly functioning or not. It has everything to do with your ontology, whether or not you are a human being that has personhood. A personhood is built into being a human being. So if you have human DNA, fully human, not some of these hybrids that people are kind of come up, coming up with on TikTok, but these this fully human thing, that means you are in the image of God. And that's that's really what we're getting at here. So it doesn't matter if you're a Christian, 
an agnostic, a Buddhist, an atheist, all human beings are made in the image of God. Now, this is going to, I think, open up a whole new level of, or maybe not, not maybe maybe levels of bad word for it, but a whole new like perspective on how we view and interact with people. You know, we we talk all the time about, in, at least in the church, about how all humans are made in the image of God, but yet, especially when it comes to things like politics or or even other religions like Islam, where we see them trying to kill other people that, you know, don't want anything to do with Islam and they're actively rejecting it. You know, stuff like that, we tend to not acknowledge their image-bearingness, which saddens me. It saddens me deeply because I don't want to see a fellow image-bearer suffer because I am taking a higher moral ground. That that honestly blows my mind that people would even see or do that. Because, because it hurts. It it hurts not just me, but it hurts it hurts God. Because, you know, if you look at the the, the time that he had with the Samaritan woman in John four he didn't see her even though she was a Samaritan and he was a Jew. He didn't see her as a Samaritan. He saw her as a woman desperately needing something that he had to offer. So if we, and he went out of his way to humble himself and talk to, to her rather than taking that higher moral ground and like, like the Levite did in the Good Samaritan, just keep on, just pass by. He didn't do that. He went out of his way to go talk to this person, to this lady. And it's one of my favorite passages in John because it shows the humility that he had, but it also takes what is taught in Genesis 2, or 1 and 2, and puts it into the first century. I absolutely love that. And I know I'm getting off my notes, so I kind of want to bring it back, but... Yeah, it's just, it breaks my heart to see people purposefully calling others subhuman because of some some sort of, like, difference, whether it's ideological or physical, or even locational. So that, that really, really breaks my heart, and it it's not honoring to God when we do that. So... The thing is, we, we don't really have an active choice in being the image of God. So we don't have an active choice to act rationally. That's just built into our design. And whenever we do that, we are acting in our properly functioning capacity. So remember, proper functionality means that, at least in our terms, in talking about the Imago Dei, we are acting according to the way we were designed. So... Let's look at Stephen Hawking, for, for instance. So I just read and finished uh, Stephen Meyer's Return of the God Hypothesis, and he has a ton of respect for Stephen Hawking because of the things that he contributed to science. I mean, the man literally, despite his physical disabilities, was able to discover and back up the Big Bang, which Lemaitre 
discovered even before even before Hawking did his thesis and his dissertation. Like this man was wicked smart and he used and utilized in a in in a properly functioning manner, at least in my in my opinion, he was properly functioning here to discover something about the world around us, the universe. And it backed up that the universe had a beginning and that the universe was not able to basically cause itself into existence, even though he basically attributes it to the law of gravity. I, I don't know if Hawking was pressed. If he were still alive today, if Hawking was pressed on it, if he were, if he would like kind of retract that a little bit, but that's speculation. We're not going to go there. Um, but nonetheless, Stephen Hawking was acting on this Imago Dei type of thing that he has, intellect and intelligibility and rationality. These type of things are the exact same things that we see God having that he, he imparted to us when he made us. So if we are made in the image of God, all humans are made in the image of God, and Stephen Hawking was made in the image of God. And he utilized part of his image-bearing attributes to discover something about the universe that doesn't mean that we should that we should take his his philosophical his his philosophical leaning and use that as a way to say you are not made in the image of god or that even though i believe you're not made in the or that you are made in the image of god i'm going to treat you as if you're not we don't want to do that that's going to cause a rift between us as Christians, and the rest of the world that are not. So it, it just it's just a bad idea all around. So that's, we just need to be consciously aware of how we're treating people, but we need to affirm, like, I just read a book on Sam, by Sam Crabtree on, 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 on affirmation. We need to affirm these image-bearing qualities, these Christ-like qualities in people. So it has no, has no, no bearing as to whether or not you're a Christian, that you can exhibit Imago Dei attributes. So, you know, it's, it, it kind of is one of those things where, you know, they, they just kind of do things naturally. And I think that's, I think that, you know, going back into the ontology and the ontological side of the Imago Dei, the the side that is just that just is the image bearing or the image bearer you know i think that's just a part of them so again you know proper function but you know this is where i want to make sure that we're clear because if all are made in the image of god all of man all of mankind, all of humankind, however you want to pronounce, however you want to like, what whatever word you want to put to it, if all are made in the image of God and descended from Adam and Eve, who are made in the image of God, then we are also made in the image of God, because image bearers can only make other image bearers. So we see this kind of in Genesis, going from chapter one to chapter five to chapter nine. Those those th- three passages. Or four passages, sorry, 
are just kind of like really, really good examples of image bearers only can create fellow image bearers. But because God made the first pair, our first parents, Adam and Eve, in the image of himself, it just kind of logically follows that we are also in the image of Adam and Eve who are in the image of God. So that means, <coughs> excuse me, that means we are not totally depraved. So I know that a lot of my Calvinist friends are going to be like, no, no, we are. We are totally depraved. What are you talking about? Like, I don't know if that's a really, really good word for it. That's why I don't like it. And I would say that we are radically depraved, or as R.C. Sproul called it, radically corrupted. So it's not that it's not that we, as, as that, that my Calvinist friends are disagreeing with me. At least, at least in 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 essence, we're not disagreeing, but we, we're using. I want to use clarifying words to make sure that we all are understanding that all humans are made in the image of God. So if we are totally depraved, it's going to affect all all of us. That everything has fallen, even our image bearings. We basically lose, as a result of, of total depravity, we lose the image-bearing quality that we that we have by by nature. And I don't see that I, I don't see that in scripture at all. There's a whole lot of stuff that just goes on and I especially whenever whenever the Bible clearly talks about the the image of God being trans transferred or traduced if you want to get really technical so traduced is kind of like a vine um you only as it goes it's really not this it's not any different but it's somewhat of the same substance yeah so on the on the radical corruption or radically depraved what what i'm trying to get at is that we are that it's not just or it's it's not the that we are intrinsically 100% depraved, but we are radically depraved, that parts of the image of God are still intact and we can still act and use these image-bearing qualities. So things like rationality, which then leads to us inquiring about in a philosophical manner, which quite literally is just asking questions and doing science. So without, without the image-bearing qualities that we have, rationality and science would never exist. So basically, I'm, what I'm saying basically is if God doesn't exist and we are not made in the image of God and we are the result of blind processes, that rationality would never exist because we can't get to rationality from a material thing because rationality is a metaphysical thing. Therefore, we would never have science and we would never get to science so that's why i want to use radically depraved or radically corrupted because it still maintains some form of the imago day and it makes it clear to everybody around me that that's how i view you so you know where where do i agree where do i disagree 
I think has a lot to do with, you know, this whole idea of how we view people. So Christians have the right worldview. In, in my opinion, Christians have the right worldview and motive to do good. So this kind of comes in and brings in a little bit of like the free will stuff. Um, because we freely act on these attributes, even if it's not something that we're consciously choosing to do so. <clears throat> we act freely to use our rationality to, to, uh, to understand the universe around us. So that's because the reason I say that, the reason I say that we have the right worldview and motive to do good is because we see God as the source of goodness. That because we bear his image, that gives us enough reason to do good. Now, we need to specify and kind of make some things clear here. So these, these things, these things of, of good, this thing called goodness. Yes, I, I, I understand that no one is good but God. And I fully agree with that. But what I don't agree with is that only Christians can do good. Pulling Stephen Hawking in again. Stephen Hawking did a really big good by discovering black holes and confirming the Big Bang. That is a good that progressed science. So if you're thinking about progressive as as moving forward towards truth, it's a good thing. It doesn't matter where you come from. The same thing with the Kalam cosmological argument, which is a support for the Big Bang. That was, that was, like, devised by Al Ghazali in the medieval in the medieval times. The man was a Muslim. But yet, if you are saying, if you want to say that only Christians can do good, not mainly for, not for goodness sake, but that they're the only ones that can do anything good, I would like to ask you whether or not you agree with Al-Ghazali, a Muslim, when he says that the universe had a beginning. And that the contribution that he made I would want to ask you, is it good? Is that a good? I would hope. I would hope that you would say yes. But at the same time, if Christians are the only ones that are able to do good things, you know, it gives us another us versus them scenario. And we don't want to do that. Because we are all made in the image of God. We want people to understand that. We want people to be able to rally around this this transcendence that we have, and uh, you know, bringing in some current some current events. The whole racial issues that we're seeing right now, and I know I'm treading on. I'm in, I'm in. I'm in deep with this study. I love it. It's so much fun, and I know I know I'm walking on eggshells here when I say this, because it is such such a polarizing thing. But if we are to view people as all made in the image of God, 
racism goes away. Let me say that again. If we are to view people with a transcendent Imago Dei, some, the ontological Imago Dei, then the economic Imago Dei is going to help us eliminate racism because we are all seen as being made in the image of God. Skin color, ethnicity, belief, it all goes by the wayside because we're all seeing each other as on the same playing ground. So, what do we do with, with this whole idea of the economic Imago Dei? First, first of all, we need to affirm that these are all image-bearing qualities. That the economic Imago Dei is something that is natural to all of us. And that we need to encourage others to continue acting as these image bearers, whether or not they know Jesus or not. They were still made in the image of God. So we need to affirm, excuse me, they, we need to affirm that very thing. <coughs> but what does, what does this all mean as well? That no, I, I would say that no one is able to escape being an image bearer because of, we're, because of being truly made in his image. Christian or not, we all act according to the qualities he gave us through our first parents. So I'm going to leave you there with that. Not because I couldn't go further, but because I want you to sit down and think and maybe even ask a friend about these. Ask, ask a friend, what do you think about this? Or ask your pastor, what do you think about this? Ask me, <laughs> leave a comment or, 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 or something on, on this, on, on Facebook or, or Twitter or where, wherever you see this. Because I think I still can have comments on, my, on, on the anchor page. Wherever you hear this, comment with what you think about this. Let me know where you're at. I, would, I want to interact with you all. I want to be able to have conversations with you about these topics because it's not light stuff and it's something that I care about and it's something that is really, really meaningful to a lot of, a lot of people, but it's also meaningful to just the whole outlook of life. So leave a comment in the, in the bot and, and below wherever you see this and just make sure that you remember to be safe and responsible with what you're learning here so that you can be a good witness. Or just...